We're in a series. This is the middle of it. Next week, we'll close it out. On high definition is the title. And the perspective of it is for us to see things in the manner that God does. Last week, we talked about seeing people in the way that Jesus does. If we love people the way, see people the way Jesus does, then we'll love them the way Jesus did. And so we, we talked about the, the word is so clear that God is not a God that shows favoritism, that he accepts people from every nation, those who fear him and those who do right. And so the message, the good news of the gospel that we preach and proclaim is that Christ will, can bring peace to everyone because he is the Lord of all. And so we want to see people the way Jesus did so we can love people the way Jesus does. Colossians 3.11 tells us that there is not Greek or Jew, uh, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Devin is going to come, Devin Conkler, uh, before we go into this second message on this, he's going to bring what's called a spoken word that reflects the theme of the messages and something from his heart. Good morning, everybody. Morning. All right, so um, I'll just get into it. I've heard it my whole life, black and white, that ain't right. But if that were true, I wouldn't be holding this mic talking about my Lord Jesus Christ. We still caught up with being different from one another, but Acts 17, 26 reads like this. And he has made from one blood every nation to dwell on the earth. Let me repeat that. He has made from one blood every nation to dwell on the earth. So please, please tell me how skin color determines one's worth. Jesus does not care about the color of your skin. What matters to him is what is within. He judges your heart, and that's what sets us apart from others. And those who believe in Christ are called sisters and brothers. Because in Christ, there's no distinction between Greek or Jew, man or woman, slave or free, you or me. Yes, we have our differences. I'd be lying if I said there ain't none. But let me ask you something. Is a house still a house if it got different paint on? God made us different so we can make a difference. But the difference in our differences shouldn't make a difference. We are all one body in Christ who gave his life so we could be above this worldly strife of black versus brown versus white. In the end, when there's no more crying, there's no more pain, no more sin, the great celebration post-tribulation will begin. All people from all tongues, all tribes, all nations will stand and worship our God with unending adoration. Our differences will be no more. We will truly be one people shouting out to our Lord in the Holy Land. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, Lord, I can't wait for that day. But until that day, I pray we see each other as you see us. No more worry and fuss because we ain't the same. Just help us to remember to always bring glory and honor to the name above all names, Jesus. Well, you good at that. You really good at that. That's awesome. That's really good. That's a great, that's a great gift. Great gift. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read. This is a kind of a lengthy passage to read, and I'm going to go back to parts of it. But today, I want to talk about from this high-definition high position of clearly seeing the church, and primarily through the eyes of the Spirit. And then next week, we'll deal with uh, clearly seeing the great work of salvation from the throne, and we'll jump into Revelation. But, yeah. 
And the big idea of this message is this, that the church is God's idea for people that are diverse to gather and worship together as one. And so we're going to look at this from Acts chapter 2 again. Let's just follow along in the reading. Verse number 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are they... Are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they were filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Can you say amen? So again, I want to remind you, the big idea is that the church is God's idea. It's God's idea for people that are diverse to gather together and worship together as one. I can take you through multitudes of scriptures in the Bible that talks about God desiring unity. That should not probably be an uncommon thought. Two passages, I'll show one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. The Old Testament, we have in a psalm where it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's a declaration. The idea that God likes people to be unified, that he likes people to be together, that he likes people... Brethren, sisters, of course, gather together and to be unified. Jesus followed that thought in John 17 when he came on the earth doing the will of the Father. He knew that his mission was not done unless people had the understanding and had the, uh, yeah, the heart, the, the reality of what God's purpose was, and that's to bring people together as one, to unify them. John 17, 20, and 21 says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, talking about the 11 that he was still ministering to with Judas uh, already dead, but also for all, or soon to be dead if not yet, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be as us in the world so people will believe that you sent me. So he defines that as actually being one of the indicators. 
that people know that there is a Christ, that he's came to the earth, that he's come to the world, is the unification of people. People being one, just like we see in the Godhead, the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit being one, one God, working in various manifestations for the salvation of mankind. Jesus said the same thing people need to see in people who are diverse, uh, different, different cultures, different backgrounds, different upbringings, but yet being able to be unified as one. With that being stated, there's a, a, a historical fact in the scripture that man tried this unification process, that they tried this unification of being one people. You could read that story in, in Genesis chapter 11. I, I won't go into all the details of it, but we know it as the Tower of Babel. Now, I want you to understand that this is after the Lord had begun to scatter people in Genesis chapter 9. When Adam and Eve came out, sorry, when Noah and his family came out of the ark after the flood, God made a point for people to be scattered, which reflects, and we'll get to that again, Acts chapter 17 that Devin uh, so eloquently expressed. God's desires for people to, to fill the earth and to, and to populate the earth and be continually throughout the earth, various parts of the earth. But man tried a unification project. And it's in Genesis 11, verse 1, and it says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words, which would only make sense. Those that was in the earth, in the ark together, obviously could communicate uh, same language, same culture, etc. As they begin to populate, that remained the same. Spoke the same language, same culture, done everything the same way. And they made a decision that they, would, they wanted to do something to maintain this unity, maintain this likeness. Verse number four of Genesis 11 says, and they said, come let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Now, there ought to be a couple of indicators there without a whole lot of explanation of what the problem with that was. Even though God wanted people to be unified, and God wanted a unification of the people, the manner in which they went about it was completely wrong. And the reason it was wrong is because, first of all, it was a rebellion against what God said. God said he wanted people scattered throughout the earth. They say, let's do this so we're not scattered all over the world. We don't want to be scattered. So right away we see a heart issue. God said, scatter, populate. Fill the earth. I've made a whole lot of land out there. Get out there and, and, and be in different places, become different cultures, have differences, etc. Do what you got to do to fill this earth. So not only did they rebel against God, but notice the language that they said. Let us build a great city for ourselves. And let us build this great city unto the heavens. And let us make ourselves famous. Now, without going into too much, that right there is the absolute basis of secular humanism. The very things that we face on a daily basis through media, even through school curriculum, through the thoughts of people, is secular humanism. We can create a world and a life without God. We can be big. We can be great. 
We can be famous. As a matter of fact, we can be as high as God, as great as God, as awesome as God. We can do this all ourselves if we just unify and do it our way. That's secular humanism. It's destined to fail. It's destined to fail because it puts a whole lot of stuff inside people. And if you're honest with yourself, people are jacked up. And so our our thinking and acts is going to be faulty somewhere because we're imperfect. Somewhere down the line, all the unity that they're talking about making us great going to eventually be one of us among us is great or greater or a group of us is greater. As a matter of fact, my house is better than your house. My tower is bigger than your tower. My cattle are more than your cattle. And then out of that great group is going to come a great leader, and eventually you end up with imperialism as we see all through the Old Testament beginning with Saul. Because secular humanism does not work. Anything that's built on the understanding and the thinking and the actions and the thought process and the ideas of man to make man great will always fail. But it doesn't take away God's heart for unity. But it just won't be done that way. As a matter of fact, there's some scripture that talks about God's vision for unity and diversity. One of them I already shared in Matthew, uh, Genesis chapter 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And those sons went through, verse number 19 of Genesis 9 says they went through various places and they began to populate the earth. Or that was their uh, intent or God's message. And then I love what Devin again stated in Acts 17, that God said he set people in certain places. People were born to live in certain places, not everybody in the same place, but he set boundaries where people are supposed to live. And so we see God's heart of that diversity comes, comes right from the beginning when Noah and his family comes out of the ark. Right from the beginning, God established, I want diverse people. At the same time, God says, I want people to be unified. And we see it in a couple of passages. One is Galatians 3, 26 through 28. It says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on the character of Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So we have God's plan for people to be diverse, and yet at the same time for people to be unified. We see it also in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to this, verse number 4. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Now, there ought to have been something that stood out in both of those passages. Because of diversity, God never wants to change. I love the line that there is going to be differences among us. But none of those differences should make a difference. So there is diversity, and we celebrate diversity. We, we love diversity. You like being you. I like being me. I like eating chicken and ham hocks and greens and sweet potatoes. I love that. I love eating chitlins and hog moths. I love it. I don't know what some of y'all eat, but you like it. 
You like the stuff you eat, squash and turnips and all that kind of stuff. Fufu, tofu, or whatever you call it. That, that kind of stuff. Y'all like that stuff. I like what I like. Some of y'all like pasoli and menudo and ceviche and all of that. That's fine. It's okay. We like the wrap. Y'all like the salsa. It's fine. And some of y'all tango. Lord Jesus. Just add a little something to it. Move a little bit more. Tango ain't bad, but my God. But anyway, just, you just, we, we like we like being who we are, and God celebrates it because it, ref- it reflects the awesomeness of God being able to be the Lord over all people with all of our differences and distinctions. It celebrates it. And at the same time, no, he has discovered a way that all of us who are diverse can be unified. And it's not from the Tower of Babel. It's not us trying to protect ourselves for who we are. It's not building the tower. It's not building the city. It's not staying all close together in the same place. That's not it. What makes the difference is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is what unifies us as a people. It's not our color. It's not our culture. It's not us liking the same foods, the same music, the same types of cars, and the same neighborhoods. What makes Us unified is the Holy Spirit. That's why Acts chapter 2 is so profound. Because it's a complete reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. There at Babel, they wanted to keep the same language, do the same things, and live in the same place. But God said, let me just blow your mind. I'm going to have a day that we know is the day of Pentecost. Where I'm going to bring people from every nation on the planet And I'm going to bring them all together in one place. And yes, they're all coming together because many of them have identified with the Jewish faith. And they're coming to celebrate what we know as the day of Pentecost and the great feast. And they're coming from every nation. They don't speak the same way. They don't eat the same things. They don't think the same way. But they're all going to come together and celebrate this one feast. And God determines what an amazing time for me to prove the awesomeness of the Holy Spirit that can unify all people together. So sure enough that there, and that's the day that God determines to pour out his Holy Spirit in reference to a prophecy in Joel chapter 2, that there's going to be a day that I pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And yes, he could have done it individually. He could have poured his spirit out in Egypt, and he could have did it in Medes, and he could have did it in Parthians, but he wanted the world to see, I'm going to fulfill my word, bring them all together for this great day day from every nation and watch what I do. He opens up the windows of heaven and pours out the Holy Spirit upon people from every single nation on the planet and they're all hearing each other with such amazement. How can this be? Drunkenness did it. Drunkenness, Peter said, can't be drunk It's nine o'clock too early in the day. We can't say that now. Folks get drunk at six. This message, Peter would have to change. This message, Tyrone, on Pentecost now. Couldn't say it the same way. But the truth of it is, he said, that's not what's going on here. This is a fulfillment from the Word of God 
that he was going to unify people that are in various places. And here, folks, is the birth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the birthday of the church when the Spirit of God comes, and at that time, people from various places all of a sudden become one because of the Spirit of the Most High God. Are y'all with me? And that's why 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this. Some of us are Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are slaves. Some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Can you say amen? That's why no matter what nation you go to, and I'm going to tell you no matter what church you go into, no matter what denomination it is. If the Spirit of God is present, you may not know the songs, you may not know the words they're speaking, but I can assure you will experience the presence of the Lord because the Spirit of God unifies us as one. That's why we call people in Africa and India and France and England, we call them brothers and sisters. Why? We may not live in the same houses, we may not eat the same stuff, but we're all unified together as one by the Spirit of God. That's the big idea. The church is God's idea for people that are diverse to gather and worship together as one. What's interesting about this, and I need you to watch this because I'm going to do a head fake here in just a heartbeat. Because even though the apostles witnessed this, they were slow learners. They were slow learners. You could read through the book of Acts, and I'm going to give you some examples of even with what they are experienced, because they were so entrenched in their mind that A, the Jewish people were still the elite people chosen by God. And so, yes, even though God may do some things for other people, we ain't supposed to do nothing to other folks. God going to work that out. We still got to be who we are. That was one of their issues. The other issues is they were still living among a community of people who did not have an understanding of what God was doing and still looked down upon other people as dogs or, or outsiders or misfits or whatever the case may be. So social pressures was upon them. And we see it play out in the early church. You might remember this in Acts chapter 6, and I, I won't have you turn all these, and I think everything I'm going to give you on the screen might be, might be over. But in Acts chapter 6, the Scripture says that the apostles was ministering to the widows of the Jews, of the Jews that have come to Christ. And there was a group of people there called Hellenists who were people that was uh, Greek people that also had accepted the message of Jesus. But the apostles are just taking care of the Hebrew widows because they recognize that's what their job is, to take care of widows and orphans. And even though these other folks had come to Christ, They were completely ignoring them because they figured our job is to take care of the ones that are before us. And so one of the the Hellenist Greeks come up and say, listen, these folks are being completely ignored. We got widows also. We got people that need to be ignored. But thank God the apostles had the wisdom to go to the Holy Spirit whose idea this was anyway. To go to the Holy Spirit and say, "What what do we do? Holy Spirit gives them clear directions, appoints some men from among them that can take care of, the, of, their, of their widows and the Hellenist widows, and you guys keep doing what you're doing. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep sharing the word. Keep praying. 
And you know what's amazing about this? And this is how awesome the Spirit is. The Scripture says in Acts chapter 6, verse number 7, when they did what the Holy Spirit said to do, to make sure that people of other cultures were taken care of, that had received the gospel, it said the church began to explode and multiply. Because that's the heart of the Spirit. That's the work of the Spirit. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 8 or something similar. One of those gentlemen in Acts chapter 6 was a man named Philip. He was one of those ones appointed and at the time was considered what we call deacons. And he was there ministering. But then the Spirit of God came upon him. And he recognized that the people of Samaria have not yet heard the gospel. So Saul comes along, who later becomes Paul, and he starts persecuting the church in Jerusalem and scattering them. So Philip says, I'm going to go on over to Samaria. He goes over to Samaria, verse number 4 of chapter 8. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. No one had went to Samaria yet to tell them about Jesus because you know what they thought about the Samaritans. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits was cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in the city because he heard the Spirit of God say, we got to go beyond this. The work of the Spirit is to all nations. Verse number 25, Peter and John hear about it. And they're told there's some awesome stuff going on down in Samaria. They go down there. They lay hands on them. People receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And every Samaritan village they went along the way, they began to preach the good news. Why? Because this is what the Spirit does, unifying people. Philip wasn't done. He thought, man, this Spirit is so good and people getting saved. Let me see what else God's going to do. So the Scripture says an angel came to him, says, I want you just to go down south. He goes down south. This is the latter part of of chapter 8. He just started out there walking, and he sees a man that's sitting in a carriage from Ethiopia, another nation, another people group. And he's sitting there reading, this, and, and, and he had went to worship in Jerusalem, but because he couldn't be accepted into the group, he's on his way back. He's reading out of the book of Isaiah, and the Spirit of the Lord tells Philip, go join yourself with that man. He goes and joins himself with that man. He hears a man reading out of the book of Isaiah. Philip asked the man, do you understand what you're reading? He says, man, I really don't. I don't know if this man is talking about himself or or if he's talking about someone else. Philip gets in in the chariot. He starts to tell the man about Jesus Christ, what the book of Isaiah is talking about. It's about Jesus. The man is going along. He sees water. And he says, see, here is water. Now notice why he asked this question. What hinders me from being baptized? Why did he ask that question? Because he knows he wasn't one of them. He wasn't a Jew. And all these other folks who believe in Jesus are being baptized. What would hinder me from being baptized? Philip had the answer right, nailed it right down. He says, if you believe in your heart with all your, believe in Jesus with all your heart, believe that he's the son of God, no reason for you to be baptized. Why? That's what the spirit is doing. He takes the eunuch down into the water, baptizes him, and God said, I'm not done yet. As soon as he baptizes the eunuch, the Spirit of God lifts Philip up and takes him to another place where the gospel hadn't been written. Why? Because the Spirit's job is for the church to have unity with diversity. 
Are y'all doing all right out there? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Acts chapter 10. Because Peter, as you know, is this great man of God and actually the head of the church. And Peter still had a little prejudice. I'm telling you, these fellows were slow learners. It ain't that we all that sharp. We just got the Bible now. It's 2020. But these fellows were some slow learners. Here the church is exploding in other places. The apostles are primarily still stuck in Jerusalem taking care of the church. Gospel is going out all over the place. Spirit of God is falling all over people in all different places. Peter's in a place called Joppa. Scripture says that he's up there taking a nap, waiting for them to finish fixing some food. And the Spirit of God speaks to him and shows him sheets with all kinds of different animals. And if you know anything about Jewish eating, there are certain animals that they could not eat. And the Scripture describes these different animals that Peter knew he couldn't eat. He said, no, Lord, nothing common and unclean has touched my mouth. The Lord did it three times, I believe the Scripture says. And finally, the Lord says to Peter, don't you call anything common and unclean that I've, made, that I've called common and clean. He's given him a message. We don't have a right as a people to say who can't be part of the body of Christ. We don't have a right as a people to say who cannot receive the Spirit of God. We don't have a right as a people to say who cannot be baptized. So he says, no, you need to hear. There's some folks coming. You need to go to a place, send them down to a place of a man named Cornelius, who was a man that feared God but had not heard the gospel. And he knew that there was something out there. Peter comes, and when Peter walks into the door, he makes this statement. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him to do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter declares the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. While he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Peter says this, even as Peter was saying these things, this is Acts 10, 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had even been poured out on Gentiles. They heard them speak in tongues and praising God, just like they remember from the day of Pentecost. Then Peter asked them, once again, same thing with the case with Philip, can anybody object to these fellas, this household being baptized, seeing that they've received the Spirit of the Lord just like the rest of us. That's what the Spirit did. And of course, they were all baptized. Peter had a problem, though. He had to go home. Peter had to go home to the other apostles who were in Jerusalem, who don't know what all's going on out there, but somebody gets word back to them, Peter was in the house of a man who wasn't one of us. So Peter gets back. Soon as he walks into the door, news had reached the apostles and other believers that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Peter arrived back. The Jews criticized him, said, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them? You entered the home of Gentiles and ate with them? You mean you ate their food? You walked into their house when they're playing their music and touch their furniture, put your hands on their children, and had a nerve to tell them about our Jesus? Come on, y'all. Am I talking to somebody? 
And Peter said, listen, let me tell you what happened. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them folks, just like the Holy Spirit fell on us. And since God gave them Gentiles the same gift, this is verse 17 of chapter 11, the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Who was I to stand in God's way? If the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he fell on us, who am I to stand in God's way? When they heard that, verse number 18, they stopped objecting and began praising God, and they said this, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins that they also may receive eternal life. Because that's the big idea. The church is God's idea for diverse people to gather together in worship as one. No matter who they are, no matter who they are, that's God's idea. Now, usually I'm gonna, I usually tell you something, praise him, you can come, on what I want you to do based on this message. Some of this ought to be real clear. Some of it ought to be clear. Obviously, I, I will say this, first of all, CTC does a great job of being a church that understands the heart of this. In a lot of cases, I'm preaching to the choir. But at the same time, I want to tell you, well, not really preaching to the choir. Choirs are some of the hardest people to preach to, but I'm preaching to good folks. At the same time, though, I am asking us to continue to lift our horizon and our scope because there's still people around us from Native Americans to Asians, and we can go on, that still need to hear the gospel. People from Middle Eastern countries living in our own community that still need to hear the gospel. We don't want to prejudge people. But we can go right on down the line from the homosexual community, the transgender community, all on down the line. We don't want to prejudge people. All those folks need to hear the gospel. Am I talking to the right church? The Holy Spirit can fall upon every one of them just like he's fallen upon every one of us. And so we keep our eyes and our heart open to share the gospel. But, but here, here's the head fake. I, I was telling Jacob last night when he was at the house, I'm having a hard time finding out what it is that God wants me to say to the church as a whole. I understand that most of you understand this message. I get that because we practice it in a lot of ways. But, uh, but I knew he was saying more, and honestly, you're going to think it almost has nothing to do with the message. Any of you ever, you ever see those movies that you're following the movie and you, you almost get a sense of where it's going, even if you're not totally, you're anticipating something and it just completely flip-flops on you right at the end. Gone, baby, gone is one. Man on fire is another one. Can go right on down the line. I'm going to do a little flip-flop on you because I'm not really concerned about you understanding the message that I'm trying to give you about what we need to do. I'm actually a little bit more concerned about you. And, and let me tell you why I'm a little bit more concerned about you. Because in every one of these passages that I read in the book of Acts, there was two things that was always evident. Baptism of water and baptism of the Spirit. Baptism of water and baptism of the Spirit was evident in every one of those passages. And it was impressed upon me this morning, Jacob, that that's the message for CTC today. 
you get it. You're looking around folks who are different cultures than you. You get that. But I'm wondering if some of you have got what the apostles had that gave them the ability to do what God wanted them to do. And that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit and baptized in water. Now listen to me. I know there's many of you who say, I've given my life to Christ. But I'm going to ask you, have you been water baptized? Have you been water baptized? I mean, how, how long can you say you're a Christian in the community of faith that the thing that brings us into the community of faith is the spirit and water baptism? See, put the clock on me. They want me to shut up now. There's no reason to declare yourself to be a Christian, born again, and not been water baptized. Because that makes a statement to you, to your family, to the city, to the world, to the Lord God Almighty, I'm all in with you, God. I'm all in. And you can't do all that God wants you to do if you're not all in. You got to be all in and water baptism is the all in. And I'm telling you, sure, when you give our life to Christ, the Spirit of God brings us into the body of Christ. But I'm telling you, the power of God that you need to work in your life to overcome sin, to deal with temptations, to have boldness and to have courage and to overcome fears and overcome doubts is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God working in your life every day. You cannot keep driving a car without showing up at a gas station. You got to park yourself sometime right at the throne of God in the presence of Him and say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Prayer team, you can come. Altar workers, you can come. Everybody stand if you would. Can I get some honesty? Can I, can I get some honest folks today? How many of you would lift your hands and say, yes, pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm born again. How many of you that are lifting your hands can say, not only am I born again, but I've been water baptized? How many of you, those of you that have been water baptized and you know you're born again, put your hands down. Those of you that have not, keep your hands up. You don't need to be shamed. Water bat need to be water baptized. It's a good time to be honest. You telling me all the folks over there have been water baptized? Got some here? Need to be water baptized? Okay. Ain't, ain't, no, ain't, no, ain't no need of waiting. Ain't no need of waiting. Shoot an email, connect deal, come tell somebody in front. We can get baptisms done. We ought to have baptisms every single week. We're getting people saved every week. Why aren't we getting baptized every week? So don't wait. Don't be shamed. Make it a great celebration. Bring family, bring friends. Let, let's get her done. Because Jesus got some work he wants to do in you. And I'm telling you, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Folks can lead you in the presence of God, lead you in the Spirit, pray for you, whatever the case may be. I'm telling you, I don't trust myself leaving my house one day without knowing I'm filled. I don't trust myself. And same with you. You all not trust yourself. Altar's going to be open. If you need to be baptized, you can let somebody know or you can shoot it to us. 
connect card, put it, put that in the offering box, send an email, whatever the case may be. If you need prayer for other things, whether it be baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether it needs to be healing, salvation, come. Altars is open. We're not going to take a long time. You already heard the word. You know what God is saying to you. If you want prayer, come on. It may be a matter of somebody praying with you for finances, marriage, children, parenting. It doesn't matter. Altar is open. Jesus is here. Spirit of God is here. He's going to love on you. People are going to love on you. We're going to see Christ do some awesome things. So we're going through this song. Altar is open. Let's pray. See what Jesus does.